0: Would you join me as we pray and ask for God to help us all? Heavenly Father, thanks that your word speaks to all of our lives, to all of us, whether we're young or old. Thanks, God, that your word tells us even how to relate in families. Please guide me, empower, speak through me so that all I say that it may be true and helpful and that we would all know the relevance it has for our lives God, we pray you'd open the hearts of boys and girls, teenagers, adults, young and old, to live in a way that honours Jesus. Amen. Well, children and teens, when you're told to obey your parents, I wonder what your reaction is. Do you think, yeah, I know, that's, I know that I'm meant to do that. It's okay most of the time. Or do you think I hate it? I want to get my own life. I want to do what I want. Submitting to your parents is hard. I haven't forgotten that. But being a parent is also hard. Dealing with the sleepless baby, the two-year-old's tantrum, the teenager's emotions, or your adult child's unwise choices. It's hard. Kids and teenagers, I hope you'll listen carefully today. I hope parents and grandparents that you'll listen carefully And if you don't have kids, I'm glad you're listening and I hope that you'll be equipped to love and pray for the families from your church. Point one is children, obey in the Lord. Kids, I'm speaking to you now, please listen in. The fact that Paul speaks to children in this letter tells us that children are in the church and part of the church. Children, God is speaking to you here as people who are responsible for your own choices. But who are the children that Paul commands to obey? I mean, I'm still a child of my father, so as a 43-year-old, do I need to obey my dad? The word children uh, speaks about the relationship, not particularly about a person's age. And yet, the context of verse 4 makes clear that the Apostle Paul had pre-adult children in mind, so unmarried kids who are still living at home, those who are still growing up, still being brought up. In Australia, someone might be classed as an adult at age 18, but you don't miraculously become a mature adult at 18. And when a child is counted as an adult, is very determined by culture. So in Jewish culture... A boy becomes a man at 13. A girl becomes a woman at 12. In some cultures, children can be expected to obey their parents until they're married. I suggest that if you're a single adult living away from home, then God wants you to honour your parents, but not necessarily or not always obey them. Children, whether you are in kinder primary school, secondary school, I hope you're going to listen carefully. God asks you here, it's on the screen there, to choose to obey your parents, Ephesians 6 verse 1. Now, if your parent asks you to sin or to not be a Christian or to be silent about abuse, then you should disobey. You should love the Lord Jesus more than your parents but times when it's right to disobey will not be very often. Not for most of us. God speaking through the apostle Paul, he gives you three reasons to, to obey your parents. And the first is it is right. To obey is right. It's right in God's eyes. So to reject your parents' authority is to reject God's authority. And that is to sin. And that brings judgment. So kids, you are to obey your parents because it's right. And obeying your parents is actually how you honor your father and mother, as we just heard in the first Bible reading from commandment number five. A second reason to obey, we're told, is you'll likely be better off. In verse three, Paul mentions this promise from Deuteronomy 5, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, that's not promising you that if you always obey your mum and dad that you'll have heaps of money and you'll be successful and always happy and live to 100. That promise that we read there originally applied to the Israelites in the promised land. And Ephesians is telling us that this is a general principle that is generally true. And so, teens, if you listen to your parents and the wisdom that they've gained through life... You're less likely to get into trouble at school, less likely to do drugs, break the law, go to jail. You're less likely to do something stupid like speed in your car and kill someone or yourself. The point is, listen to your parents and you're more likely to make wise choices, do well in life, live longer. Listen to the good news that your parents share with you and you're going to live forever. And this command to honour our parents it actually applies to us, whatever our age. Whether we're 20 or 40 or 60, we honour our parents by never neglecting or forgetting them. When you speak to your parents with respect, with a respectful tone of voice, and, and when you meet their needs when they're elderly. And young adults, you honour your parents when you talk, to, uh, talk with and visit them when you're respecting their wisdom so that you actually seek and listen to their advice. Third reason, kids, for you to obey is found in the phrase in the Lord, uh, in the Lord Jesus. This means, kids, if you believe in Christ, then as part of your following Jesus Christ, obey your parents. When you clear the dishes or stop fighting, when you get off your screen or tidy your room, when you come home on time or watch church with the family online, you might struggle to understand why these things are such a big deal. You might not believe that your parents always know best, and they don't always. You might not accept that a tidy bedroom is morally superior, and it isn't. You might not feel it's fair. You might not feel understood. Still, obeying is an opportunity to please your Lord and Saviour. Kids and youth, I know obeying mum and dad is easier when their instructions are sensible, when you know why, and when you trust that your parents love you. Even if you don't want to obey... Your Lord wants you to do it out of love for Him. So will you. And we do it out of love for Him because we're forgiven. Our second point is forgiven in the Lord. We're going to misunderstand what Paul's saying in Ephesians 4 to 6 if we forget what he said at the start, if we forget the bigger picture. Remember chapter 1, it highlighted the wonderful things that come to us if we're in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3, God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in him. We're adopted as God's children. Verse 7, all our sins are forgiven. And we get in Christ, we get joined to Jesus when we believed the gospel. Verse 13. And if you skip over to chapter 2, verse 13, it says there that it's Christ's death which Saves us from sin and from guilt. So whatever your age or stage, if you rely on Jesus, you get forgiven. You have forgiveness. And kids, that means all the times that you've dishonoured, disrespected, disobeyed your parents, they all and everything else get forgiven when you trust in Jesus. And parents, I trust we know our need for forgiveness too. Parents can feel guilty about many things. Kids, I don't know if you know that. But we can feel guilty about not being home enough, not having the time or the answers or the guilt we feel over the mistakes we've made, the times we've responded in anger. I've experienced that. Some parents though, they don't feel guilty. They feel pride. Pride that they have it all together. Pride at their kids' achievements, that their kids are better than other kids at school or at church in the way they behave or in their marks. Every parent should remember that our children are who they are. Our children are saved only by God's grace, not by our good parenting. And so you see, we've all sinned, we're all guilty whatever our age or stage. And that's why this morning we need to remember grace. When we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven. It's a free gift of grace. We can say, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You, Jesus, were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Children, can you say those words for yourself? Can you say that? Adults, can you say that? If you are forgiven, then remember that being in Christ affects the way you live, because we're saved to live differently. As we heard last week from chapter 4 verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And if we have The Holy Spirit. And we do have the Holy Spirit, remember, when we trust in Jesus. And when we have the Spirit, He gives us power to live God's way. So kids, the Holy Spirit wants to prompt you and strengthen you, encourage you, help you to honor and obey your parents. So ask for the Holy Spirit to help you please Jesus in how you speak and how you behave. And parents keep asking for the Holy Spirit's help too. Our next point is what God says to us parents. But kids, you might find it interesting or helpful to keep listening. Verse 4 says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. To exasperate means to provoke to anger, to provoke your child to anger or to resentment. And this speaks to fathers, but it doesn't give mothers a license to exasperate it. It applies to mothers too. And verse 1 implies that mothers are teaching and training as well. And yet I wonder if we fathers can more often be less gentle, less compassionate, and empathize less with our children's feelings Fathers, does our quickness to get angry or raise our voices or expect our children to do what we say when we say it? Does that lead our kids to get bitter? How many young men are angry because they've imitated their dads? And what what can ex- exasperate or anger children is parents Who misuse or abuse their authority. We can provoke our children to anger with severe or cruel discipline, relentless or inconsistent discipline, with harsh demands or unfair rules. It can happen because of favoritism, constant criticism, or ignoring, even ignoring a child's weaknesses, fears, or needs. Paul Tripp has written an excellent book called Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens. Paul, Paul and his wife had four teens, and he says parents often say and feel that the teenage years are a stage parents just try to struggle through and survive. He says the teen years are hard partly because they bring out the worst in us. Parents can find themselves reacting with accusations, ultimatums, guilt, manipulation, and more anger than they thought possible. Parenting exposes the wrong thoughts and desires of our own hearts. It does for me. But Paul still says, secretly in our hearts we all want life to be a resort. A resort is a place where you're the one served, where your needs come first. And we reason that we have the right to peace, quiet respect and we respond in anger when we don't get it or if it's not the idol of comfort it can be a desire for success but our children are not given to bring us glory but God glory our children are for him they exist through him their lives are to point to him other parents have respect as an idol picture this A father stomps on his daughter's iPhone. He regularly locks her in her room. He puts her down in front of her friends, saying to his wife, I will get her respect if it's the last thing I do. Instead of seeing himself as an agent to lead his daughter to the life-saving fear of the Lord, his heart was driven by the goal to be feared and respected himself. Respect is good. But the desire for it shouldn't control your heart. Still others have control as their idol. When our children are toddlers, we largely choose their food and their rest times, what they'll watch, who they'll spend time with. Then all of a sudden our children are teenagers and yet some parents still treat them like little children and don't gradually allow them to grow to independence and make decisions. So parents, is there something that needs to change in your life before you try to change your children? Maybe the first step is to close the gap with your child or your distant teenager by sitting down beside them and confessing your own faults. I've had to do that more than once. I encourage you to pray before you do to come to them with humility and softness of heart. Model the love of Christ to your kids. Verse 4 also says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In, the fir- in first century Roman society, fathers were the main influence on their child's education from eight years old. But aside from culture, fathers fathers as their heads and servant leaders of our families we have a special responsibility if you are a single mother or a neglected mother you have to fill in for a father's absence and that's harder than i know i hope that you have others who can support you and may our great god meet your need even if mothers though have more time with the children Fathers, God will hold us more responsible for the way our children were raised. Maybe, dads, you might like to read this book, Fatherhood, by Tony Payne. We parents are to teach and train and instruct our children in the ways of the Lord and in the word of the Lord. Our parenting and teaching it's to be guided by God's word and done in his strength, done to encourage our kids to know and trust and live for Christ. So more than maths, more than music or English, our kids need wisdom for life. We're to teach them the gospel that gives them life, how to turn from sin and trust in Jesus for salvation and in hard times. Parents, this training is our role It's not firstly the Sunday school or youth group's role, it's our role. And fellow dads, it's our role especially. Parents and grandparents, I encourage you to have regular family devotions. Say after dinner, read a short Bible passage, talk about it, ask or invite questions and pray about what you've read. Pray for daily things, pray for others. You might like to try one of these resources on the screen. The first three on the left are particularly for primary age kids. If you need help with this, please ask. If your kids ask you difficult questions, send your pastor an email. And please don't let guilt over not having done family devotions, don't let guilt stop you from making a fresh start even today. But our training goes far beyond this. Can't just think I've done a family Devo after dinner and I can tick the box. You see, it involves everyday communication. Ask your child or teenager what their day was like, but, but over the kitchen table and not just when they rush in the door. Parents, let's, let's turn off the car radio. Ask them to turn off their screen or take out their earbuds to engage them in conversation. And I'm not saying carry your portable lectern with you so that you can give them a lecture at any time. I need to remember that. Rather, let's engage them with loving questions. When your teenager is distant or defensive, pursue them. As Paul Tripp encourages parents, he says, don't ask questions that can be given a yes or no answer to. And don't just relate to your kids at times of correction Take an interest in them. Encourage them. Daily express your love. Calmly help them think through their decisions. When a child disobeys, discipline is needed. Let's aim to be fair and consistent, responding in anger. Sorry, in love, not anger. Responding in love, not anger. The book Shepherding a Child's Heart is helpful on this. When it comes to disciplining younger children, our uh, trip only encourages communication and physical discipline. And a uh, firm and measured smack offered in a careful, restrained way, with an explanation before and a hug afterwards has a place. Though the giving of rewards and punishments are also biblical and helpful. The removal of privileges, screen time or whatever is precious to the child along with timeouts can all have a place. Yet more than correcting behaviour, engaging the heart needs to be our top priority. So your child has done wrong or they've got angry. When things have settled down, find a time to have a private chat and ask heart-revealing questions. Why was that important to you? What were you seeking to accomplish in that? Why did you become so angry? What do you think God thinks about this situation? If you could go back and change something, what would that be? Do this in a spirit of humble, gentle, forgiving, forbearing love. They need to see Christ in you. They need us to not simply seek the right behaviour, but to shepherd their hearts. Kids, I hope you're listening to this too. A mum says to her son, you're upset about your runners, aren't you? Yeah. I didn't think you liked them when we bought them at the shop last night. You didn't want to tell me though, did you? No. What don't you like about them? They look stupid. I don't know what you mean. Well, Jared said to someone else at school who had those shoes that they look stupid. Why is that? Oh, they're not ASICs and they're really cheap. Oh, I see. You're afraid that they'll call you names. Is that right? Yeah. That really hurts, doesn't it? You see, what we're learning from this is the feelings that our child struggles with. He's feeling pressured to be approved by his peers, and this brings out the hopes and fears of his heart. Our behaviour reflects the desires of our heart. And fellow parents, we want to understand the desires of our child's heart so that we may know what aspects of the life-giving gospel are needed here. Paul walked into his daughter's bedroom one night as he heard her crying. He went in and asked what was wrong. In her tears, she said, Daddy, I can't do it. I can't do what you're asking me. You told me I should want to share with my brothers, but I don't. When you tell me to give something of mine to them, I do, but I hate it. And I'm mad at you for asking me to do this. I'm mad at them for taking it. I don't want to share, and it's impossible for me to enjoy. She burst into tears again. In her room that night, she began to see that there's no possibility of righteousness by doing the law. She began to realize that in her own strength, she could not obey God. In her room that night, she began to cry out for Christ. She began to see that He was her only hope. When our children are sinned against, we must teach them that there is a Redeemer. Who has come, who forgives, who delivers, who reconciles, restores. And you model this when you do more than tell your fighting children to go to their rooms. When you require them to face each other, ask for forgiveness, to restore relationship, you teach the gospel. You testify to the presence and power of the Saviour. Selfishness, laziness, lovelessness are all opportunities to bring your child to the one place of hope and help, the Lord Jesus. Parents are to teach. Children are to obey we can't do it by ourselves we've heard we need the spirit we do but it's been said it takes a church to raise children so even if you have no children when we can meet again physically that children in this church need christ-like spiritual christ-like models like you if your children are long gone or you have no children the younger families in this church, your church, could do with your encouragement and your continuing prayers. So for each of us, young or old, may Christ be in our words and in our deeds. May Jesus empower your obeying and your honouring and your training and us all in our living let's pray god thank you for the good news in your word of forgiveness that we have through trusting in jesus and lord whether we're children or two or three whether we're 90 or anywhere in between we all need your forgiveness thank you with by relying on you jesus there is full and forever forgiveness God, we pray that you'd remind all of us that when we've trusted in Jesus, we are forgiven and that that would move us and inspire us to live your way. We pray that the children watching and listening at home now, that they would be moved and helped by your spirit to follow Jesus and obey and honour their parents. We pray, dear Lord, too, that you might give grace to parents to love their children well, to engage their hearts with the gospel, to keep pointing them to Jesus, not only in their teaching, but in our own lives. Father, we pray that we would honour you in our families and in our church community. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.